Good evening and welcome to Black Republican, Black Democrat. I'm your co-host and homeboy, Jamar Nelson. And uh, Pat I, I think he must be in a bad uh, cell tower oh area. Gosh, where is, you, where is he at? He's in Chicago, so oh, he's, probably, well, no, he's probably running from somewhere. Yeah, well, I was going to say that or he... Yeah, you never know what's going to happen in Chicago. Yeah, exactly. So, well, welcome. I'm sure Pat will be calling back. Pat is one of, we're not going to call him our call-in guest, but we he's going to be uh, calling in. We'll see, we think. Well, welcome to the show. Today is, uh, oh, sounds like, uh, yeah, there he is there already. Friday, June the 16th already, man. And it was uh, pretty ugly to start the day with, but it ended up being relatively nice. Actually, I'm, I'm not not relatively nice, extremely nice. The sun is shining, and it's probably about 92 degrees and humid right now. So, Pat, when was the weather like where you're at? It's uh, it's hot. <laughs> I'm sure. But I think it's the same temperature. It's 87. It was 87 here like 15 minutes ago when I was looking at the temperature so yeah 87 up there well so no it's yeah it's hotter than 87 my, well my the car read on the car ride on the way over at uh 91 oh okay so, so you know we're hot and we're well, it is hot it, it is yeah, I, I, i'm on my third shower today. i know you know for real see you i thought i was the only one yeah no i i same thing you yeah. get you get feeling all icky and you want to shower so hopefully you yeah, got you're somewhere where you can around and seeing sights and and all of that, and yeah, it's yeah. I'm on my third one, and then I'm going out for dinner and out for the night, so that'll be my fourth one. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you be smelling real good. Yeah, you might pick up yeah, somebody. <laughs> you might, you might. Six five one nine eight nine five eight five five six five one nine eight. You know what? I don't even know why I'm giving out the number because. So let me say this, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize. We're live, but today because Patwin is calling in and our guest Jamari Willis is also a calling guest, we're not able to take calls because we have the two online. So I apologize about that. So uh, scratch me giving the number out. You can tweet uh, at Black Republican, Black Democrat, or at Democrat Black. Uh, on t uh, Twitter, or you can tweet me. Um, so sorry we can't uh, give you phone calls. So, Pat, when we've got two guests today, we've got uh, for our first segment, we've got uh, State Rep. Excuse me, listen to me. Oh, see, I'm hope giving him a little luck already. Yeah. Uh, we've got um, <laughs> uh, U.S. Senate candidate uh, Bob Anderson, and uh, also Shamari Willis. And that's why I was peeping out some of uh, uh, doing some more research on Shamari. Man, I can't wait to uh, have the brother on. I can't wait to. Yeah, he's going to be fantastic. He is absolutely going to be fantastic. So, not that the first guest isn't. No, yeah, no, <laughs> present company included, no doubt, no doubt. But, but yeah. really quick, we've got a few minutes here. You know, of course, we've got to talk about a couple of the Trumpisms and what's going on. I, I, I think that, uh, man, Pat, when this dude, this is the gift that just keeps on giving. Democrats have a lot to be hopeful for come November. Come November, they do. Not at all. But oh, we okay. do. We do. I mean, look, look. When you talk about how this guy does nothing but L-I-E, okay, L-I-E. This is this dude st stood in the driveway of the White House yesterday and said that it was Democrat. It was a Democrat policy. The reason uh, kids of two thousand kids are displaced from their families when knowing full well it was the guy he hired, Jeff Sessions, back in April that enacted this policy, and is put it, it, it is this. Just well, putting actually, it forward. It goes further back. It goes back to under Bush, too. No, um, no. There's a lot of no, no. What happens no. with separation of children? No, you're wrong. Um, no. 
Well, no, it has been, it's been going on for, no. for some time. We have not. Go. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You you no, are no, with the call in for some time, and it's a concern. I, I mean, I don't agree with it either. I think that you know kids are in a vulnerable state at that time, and they should be um, with their parents. But unfortunately, we know a lot that has been going on, you know, with the deep state and and things that happen, you know, on bases and whatnot, where kids are, you know, kidnapped and run into. Uh, Pat, man, technology, Pat, one, Bob, yeah, um, that the one of the policies that again, um, one of the policies again that again that was a that's a policy that that Jeff Sessions enacted, and then having the audacity to say that it's biblical to uh, enforce the law to me smacks right in the face of the truth when. Trump knows it, it, it was him. It isn't the Democrats. And it's amazing how his supporters continue to let the guy lie like that. Well, first of all, I'd like to meet Patwin yeah, eventually. He sounds like Patwin. a good yeah. guy. Yeah. I, I like him. He's a and, uh, the other thing is, first of all, I appreciate, Jamar, you're having me on. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Republican candidate, but I, I rem, I'm going to be representing all Minnesotans. So this is a great opportunity for me to talk. So, But then that issue with Donald J. Trump, I mean, those... These issues with separating families doesn't have to be either or. You're right, absolutely. And hopefully that we can come to some type of resolution for it. Because, again, it's not fair for Trump to decide that that's my problem. He doesn't take responsibility for his own actions, and he likes to shun and blame. And so it's it's ridiculous because someone has to be uh, the adult in the room, and he's obviously not being the adult in the room. And... Look, I think that these we know that these people come over here for a better way of life. Mm -hmm. Most of them come uh, for uh, with their families to America because it, it, you know, for a better chance. And so I think that with knowing that we're a nation of immigrants. Right. What's wrong with providing uh, a home and a better way of life for those people? Well, legal immigration has been a great opportunity in America and we've been we've been built on that but what we've got a lot of issues going on with illegal immigration and also splitting up families the, that's got to be some responsibility on the parents also to send kids off either we stick together and deal with it but you do shouldn't separate so if one can stay they should both go back parents and the kids right Pat one uh, and I and I totally agree um, I, I you know Yes, we are a nation of immigrants, except for African Americans. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, you know, it's the illegal immigration that's a problem. And, and actually, most Americans are for the legal immigration. They just Absolutely. have a problem with the illegal uh, immigration and putting illegals over citizens. And so that's really the whole impetus of behind you know what uh, Trump is doing, and actually you know a lot of those that are concerned about uh, you know the illegal uh, immigration uh, because. They are being put above, um, you know, citizens, and particularly African Americans. When you mm -hmm. see what's been going on, where the Democratic Party has been championing, uh, you know, these illegals and and ignoring borders and saying that that's you know a racial you know type of uh, thing there that is this construct that these things don't really exist and that's part of colonialism and and you know and things like that and and that's 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 crazy talk because really national sovereignty really goes back to the Treaty of Westphalia back in 1640. 
1848, um, you know, when Europe was going through the religious wars, and finally, you know, they got tired of all the religious wars, and, you know, whoever the, whatever the religion of the prince was, that's the religion of the kingdom, and, and that's where those things have finally been worked out, um, at least in Western civilization, and so we're heirs of that here in the U.S., uh, but, you know, there are others who want to do away with the traditions, you know, that um, our ancestors and, and, and nationally and, you know, culturally um, want to do away with that and create another type of system, um, which, you know, the, you know they're, they're crazy. And, and those are the people who are anti-capitalist and anti-America. And, you know, and, and they really needed to, you know, really need to learn history and to know really what the facts are. So does Trump. We are a nation of immigrants. But, so does Trump. Know, he needs to learn all. history and, and, and not want all the white folks that he wanted in. That's what he said. He, he wanted white nations, right? Did he say that? When, when did well, Trump no, say that? Norway, there's not too many Negroes that live in Norway. Oh, I don't think so. No, he said you know, no, actually, there's a lot. There no, there's not. Coming, Let's, see, the European leaders have been shipping in no, they're from the East hey, and from Africa. That one. And by the masses, which is unfortunate because they're destroying their own nation. No, please. Um, and I don't know why they're doing that to their own people. And so that will tell you what they would do to you know people that aren't you know their people, as we've seen with his, throughout history. So uh, that's very disconcerting what's going on in Europe. And we don't want that to be happening here with the rape gangs and you know all the oh, like that that's going on in Europe. Oh, stop. I want that here in the U.S. Don't start. We have guns. Luckily, we have the Second Amendment to keep us protected, but that's being chipped away at, and that's why people are really gung-ho about not giving up their guns, because they see when you give up your guns, what happens, and you know, that comes shortly after, and, and we don't want to go down that road. That is not true. You sound like a typical Republican. No, that's too bad. If you were... It's true. It's backed up by history. If you were here, that's I'd be giving true. you the side I look. Pat, when you're on the phone, so you you don't know, you can't see that, you don't have a sense of time. So right now, Pat, when, is where we're going to take a break. we got more guests. Okay. we got a lot of exciting shows, so let's take a break. I'm Jamar Nelson. And I'm Pat Lauren. This is Black Republican, Black Democrat on your Twin Cities Newser and iHeartRadio. Watch out. See, it's, it's, you know, look, it's Saturday, man. This video is just classic. <laughs> yeah, it's that classic 80s, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. Welcome to Black Republican, Black Democrat. I've got the best producer in town. I'm your host, Jamar Nelson. Patwin Lawrence. Patwin Lawrence over there. And in studio, we've got senatorial candidate. Bob Anderson. Yep. Hello, Great. Bob. Thanks, Jamar. And now, Bob, so Bob's going to be third wheeling with this guy, so we're going to see the Bob's personality in and out and get to know Bob um, and, and understand. So let me ask you quickly before we bring in Shamari, um, why are you running for U.S. Senate? Well, I'm running because I really actually, like Donald J. Trump, blazed a trail for people like myself that come from the private sector. Yeah. I'm not a politician. Okay. And I, I have the experience, you know, as a small business guy, that he brings as a huge business guy, but we deal with things, and I think it's underestimated about all the issues that we face with day in and day out, as I'm in manufacturing and a small business. Okay. So I grew up from Richfield, you know, Minnesota. I'm a lifelong Minnesota resident. I love this state. Betcha. Yeah, and my, I've got kids and grandkids, and I want to have the same opportunity for them that I've had growing up in this state because I love Minnesota. Yeah. And uh, I think we've got some issues. Got a lot of issues. We got a lot of issues, and uh, I'm excited for our president because I not only want to represent all Minnesotans, but I want to go there and help him with his America First agenda because I really believe in it. And we've had two obstructionist senators, and and they weren't that way before. 
So we can get into that a little bit more later, too. It's easy to obstruct Donald Trump. Yeah. And, and, and despite your support, I'll let you stay anyway. All right, Jamar, you're all right. <laughs> Let's bring in our guest, uh, uh, author, and uh, man, just got so many multi-talented producer, Emmy Award winner, Shamari Willis. How are you, my man? Hey, how you doing? How's it? You guys hear me okay uh, over there? Absolutely. You're great. You sound yeah. great. Good, good, good. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Man, it's a pleasure to have you. Shamari, man, uh, for, so where are you calling from? Well, I'm calling from the New York area. I'm actually at the Jersey Shore for a wedding of my friend. Shout out to Bergen and Scott. I was Brooklyn based. Shout out. Word. Shout out. Shout out. So, man, right. thanks for taking I'll the time. Be out seriously. There for the fourth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great area. Uh, so, Shamari, man, I was also reading, man, let me, before we get into your book, because your book is so important, and that's why we had you on, because uh, we need to talk about wealth. And Pat Wynn and I always talk about on the show, black wealth and the lack thereof. Um, you were also a, a producer at CNN, and uh, you worked with Don Lemon, you know, and I think right now Don Lemon is one of the only uh, black anchors at CNN, um, and you won an Emmy for your work. So what what type of work did you do over there? So, yeah, as a producer uh, for Don Lemon at, you know, CNN, and, you know, that just involved, you know, doing all sorts of research, uh, you know, helping him put together the stories and the segments and the guests he wanted to have for his show. And, you know, helping him, uh, you know, when that show first got started, when he took it over from Piers Morgan, um, you know, and then I left that show where I became a producer at Good Morning America, which is, you know, where I, uh, you know, won the Emmy joining their team and, you know, all the great stuff, all the great work they do. Man, that's fantastic. Uh, a brother won an Emmy as a producer. Now, were you uh, one of the only minority on the team that won the produ uh, producing team that won the Emmy? Um, yeah, I think there were two other minorities, um, but I was the only I was the only black. He's the only black uh, man. You know, so you know it was you know it was good to be able to um, you know have the opportunity. You know, <laughs> you know that failed bit opportunities are not necessarily what they should be. Absolutely. Uh, for people of color. But things like that, you know, when you, you, you know, you're a pioneer, you know, because seriously, when um, when we get accolades like that and recognize, man, that sets the bar high and it, you know, paves the way for uh, young black male and females that want to be producers and big time producers to go ahead and take a stab at it. Pat one. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's important, you know, to have representation and, you know, for, you know, folks to have the opportunity to go in and prove that we can do these jobs just as good as anyone. Um, you know, so I was, you know, I was happy to be able to, to, you know, to get in there a little bit. Good. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we wanted to have you on because of the book that, you know, you've written, Black Fortunes. And um, like Jamar said, you know, we talk a lot on the show about black wealth because that's so important to really understand a lot of the issues that's going on, you know, uh, within the African-American community and, and its relationship to other uh, communities as well. It's so important to understand that. But it, it seems like, you know, a lot of times when we discuss that, it was from, you know, a negative angle. Um, because, you know, things are, conditions are so serious. And so I, we wanted to do this show because we wanted to show the history um, that we've had in this country, the history that's really kind of hidden that we don't really hear that much about, about our success stories and how, um, you know, when we were coming out of uh, slavery, um, people that were building fortunes and, you know, they were, you know, advancing and they were seizing their, uh, you know, newfound citizenship. Um, and I think that's one of the great things about your book. And so kind of tell us a little bit about how did you come about, um, you know, writing that book? You know, what was the impetus for it? And then also your connection into 
you know, one of the uh, black fortunes? Well, you know, I was born in the 80s, grew up in the 80s and the 90s. Um, and, you know, I was exposed to journalism mostly through television news and newspapers. And we're all familiar, of, you know, about how, you know, black crime, black poverty was just, you know, a, um, you know, overrepresented topic, you know, amongst blacks in the media. So there was always um, a thought that I wanted to, you know, you know, show that there were more layers, you know, to the black economic story. Uh, one of the most acute ways I was aware of that was through my family. Uh, my great-great-uncle, John Mott Drew, was one of the first black millionaires in, wow. uh, in, in the Philadelphia area. Wow. Uh, he, you know, died a few years before I was born, but I always heard those stories. Um, and so I knew that that existed, that there was, you know, a black wealth class in addition to the black middle class and black, you know, working class. And I just wanted to, you know, flesh out the story because we don't hear – uh, the stories of black entrepreneurs and black people that pioneered, uh, you know, in you know, you know, on the, on the economic level. Well, I suppose I was talking to uh, uh, Bob and telling Bob things like about Black Wall Street and how, pr- uh, you know, how prominent black wealth used to be at one time, and then it was, uh, you know, government infiltration that some that ended that. Um, so, because I don't think enough people know that bl- that black folks came from money, you know, and we are or, or acquired and earned great wealth. It's not talked about. It's not talked about or documented well. And so that's why your book is so important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I believe so. You know, Abraham Lincoln said, you know, he saw slavery as theft of another man's wages. So in, ad- in addition to a social atrocity, a human rights atrocity, it was also an economic atrocity. Um, so, you know, the folks that came out, of slavery, they were acutely aware of the fact that not only did we need to establish our physical freedoms uh, and fight for, you know, our legal freedoms, but we also needed to establish economic freedom and economic power. So you have people like Mary Ellen Pleasant, you know, who participated in the gold rush and used her money to fight for abolition, became a multimillionaire. People like Bob Church, who was a slave who escaped during the Civil War and, you know, built Beale Street in Memphis. And there's just, you know, dozens and dozens of stories of African-Americans that, you know, escaped slavery, survived slavery, and went on and built economic empires. Um, and, you know, Black Wall Street, you mentioned, was, you know, is eventually destroyed. Yes. Um, you know, by a, by a race mob. And there was a, you know, violent, often, uh, response from folks who wanted to restore the social order that was there during slavery when black folks didn't have anything. Um you know, and that's a, a part of the story that we, we don't know. Black folks have had to rebuild our wealth and rebuild re, uh, our communities, uh, you know, a number of times throughout history. And I don't think that's something that's well understood. And I think that's why a lot of it is hidden, because it will really show how the government has been complicit. And that's why I always talk about the call for reparations that, you know, and why I totally support that, even though that's not a conservative uh, you know, talking point, so to speak, but it's only what's right because of the history. When you know the history, it's only the logical conclusion that you can come up with in, you know, one of the ways of solving the, you know, economic problems of, you know, African Americans because we did what a lot of conservatives say, you know, that bootstrap isn't pick yourself up, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and we, we were doing that, but we didn't have the protection of the, of the state that, you know, to protect those uh, institutions and those businesses from mob violence and from, you know, destroying that wealth 
um, and then, you know, destroying our neighborhoods and, you know, separate but equal, you know, actually, uh, and I'm not for segregation, so I don't want anybody to get that idea, but if it was truly equal, uh, most people wouldn't have had a problem with it. It was just very unequal what was going on, but then there was no protection from the state, and so, you know, people were just being taken advantage of, and that's why we are in the position that we are in now. And I think that's why the, it's so important, the stories that you tell in your book, because it shows that we did what a lot of people say that blacks should be doing now. We did that, but without that protection from the government, we are where we're, we are now. Oh, you know, I, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, I, I kind of talk about that in my book. Uh, there was a businessman, one of the people I write about, Robert Reed Church. He was one of the most prominent businessmen in Memphis and a race mob mostly made up of veterans, veterans who were working as police officers at the time. They killed and raped dozens of African-Americans and they destroyed his business and, um, you know, uh, actually uh, tried to tried to assassinate him. Um, afterwards, after this horrible race riot, I think in 1866, the federal government came in and looked at it. A bipartisan committee came in and looked at it, um, you know, from the right and from the left. And, you know, they didn't do anything. Um, and, you know, you know, that is very true that, you know, early on, um, the government did participate through the Freedmen's Bureau, through, you know, the Union Army and trying to protect African-Americans. But as those protections receded uh, and reconstruction ended as a product of that, uh, we saw a lot of horrible things happen to African-Americans and a lot of destruction of black wealth. Uh, well, here's the thing. Um, man, say we got Pat Wynn over there. Pat, I hear you uh, squealing in Pat Wynn. And so, fellas, this is the thing. Technology helps. And, and, and you know, we got to get used to it. So we're going to take a break and come back because we got a house full. And we got a call even, too, Pat, when, and uh, Samari. And Samari, I know you're at a wedding, so we won't hold you too long, bro. But we got to get in, delve into deeper into your book and to finding out how many black millionaires or are there any more black millionaires? Is there a black millionaire class here in America? So let's take a break and come back with uh, author uh, Samari Willis. This is Jamar Nelson. <laughs> this is Black Republican, Black Democrat on your Twin Series News Talk and iHeartRadio. Oh. Oh. So y'all don't know nothing about this. Ain't nobody hip to this now. <laughs> Ain't nobody hip to this. Watch out now. Welcome back to Black Republican, Black Democrat. I'm Jamar Nelson. And I'm Pat Lamar. Oh, Pat. Pat, do you know who that is? I know I can barely okay. hear it actually. Really? What? We got that we got the system cranked up. Shamari, do you know who that is? You know, I don't know. I, oh. I don't even want to embarrass myself. Oh God, you all please. It's the emotions, fellas. <laughs> the emotions. Welcome back, though. Okay. Welcome back. Uh Shamari, so that's the, the the question I was led off with um at the last segment was is there a black millionaire wealth class that still exists in America? Uh, you know, there definitely is. It's not what it not just athletes, you know, though. was. Maybe, not, not just athletes. Maybe, it's not what it was maybe 10 years ago. Uh-huh. Um, but, I mean, there definitely exists a black millionaire class. I was just with a, a group of uh, black folks in finance at a um, convention called uh, Twigo uh, for black folks in finance. And, you know, there's a lot of black folks, you know, who are doing really well and, you know, investing and, you know, who are building businesses. We all know about the black celebrities. Um, you know, so that's definitely there. 
Um, it's probably not what it was 10 years ago. But, I mean, it's it's there definitely is today. Pat, when we're going to do a, a magic here, and usually we can't do this because we got the greatest producer in town, we're going to take a phone call while we got you guys. Remember how we used to have three-way calling? We're going <laughs> to use our three-way call. Let's take this phone call from Doug. Doug, what's going on? How you doing? Hey, Jamar. Hey, I got a, a kind of a summary paragraph I'd like to comment on about how these immigrants come in and why they're here. Um, the illegal immigrants, let's just say that. And uh, what happens is 40, 50, 60 years ago, the UN started to uh, get their way around the world with different uh, countries by paying for this and that on them. But what's happened in the recent, recent 15 years is that uh, the UN has caused wars in these nations that can't support their own people. Uh, like, let's take Somalia, for instance. They mm -hmm. cannot support the baby making that they do right and left and feed them and everything. So the UN conveniently found this deal through refugee uh, status that they can push these people on other nations. And right now, the way the, you know, the working class look at these people is like, okay, why don't they have to work for a living? They, they get $3,800 a month. When they retire, we get served all his life here in America. It's around 1800 a month for Social Security. And it's, it, it just, the whole crutch of the whole idea is just uh, demonic in a way of, uh, it's like a pyramid type of a thing. The rich keep paying for the small, we'll never catch up because of the birth rates of the, the, the Muslims. And uh, I, I live in Minnesota here, so it's like the little Mogadishu, they just have, you know, they can have up to four wives, or they're not married, of course, but uh, they can have the four wives and 32 children. And that's paid both for by guess who? You and me. Mm. And I think it's just unfair that they can get by with this stuff. That's just all I had to add to everything, just so you know the background of how this stuff came about and all the dot orgs of how they're getting paid billions a year for running businesses that they, that they take exorbitant uh, managers' uh, salaries out of these things. And they run just dot orgs, and that's what government pays for their living, too. Wow. Okay. Well, thanks for the call, Doug. Shamari, what do you think? Well, that was a lot, but you know, does that prevent um, uh, does that prevent black millionaire status class when immigrants come over? You know, we always hear that they take the jobs from uh, African Americans. So, you know, does that prevent black wealth? Um, <laughs> I mean, that was a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm yeah. Be honest with you. Um, do do immigrants prevent the accumulation of black wealth? Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. Okay. You know, um, you know, I, I, I mean, there is some evidence that maybe you know illegal immigration it has a tiny impact on on wages, but you know, I think the biggest thing that's preventing black wealth uh, is really just I, you know, opportunity, you know, access to capital, uh, you know, disparities in our education system where people are not getting the tools to where they can build big businesses. Um, I think a lot of what he was saying was, you know, kind of misinformed, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that the biggest thing that's impacting black wealth are just structural things like access to capital and access to uh, good education um, that, you know, you know, and, you know, educational disparities and, you know, generational wealth disparities. I think those are the biggest uh, impactors. Yeah, and I absolutely, you know, agree. And what Doug was saying, he was giving some um, good background. I do agree with what, uh, you know, he was saying, because those are a lot of the concerns. When we have these illegal wars that we've been doing, as America has been doing these and going into these other countries and meddling in their affairs, 
Um, the UN has been doing that. That has been causing problems where now we have these influx of people to other to Western nations, and that's really behind it. But the result is because of stuff we have done, you know, unfortunately, you know, um, as a country. But that doesn't impact the black wealth class. That you know, the tiny you know existence of that class. Um, it actually benefits them. It benefits the the, the rich because then they can get cheap labor. Um, and and it really impacts and hurts low income, low skilled, you know, African Americans, poor whites, and you know, and then also Latinos that came over um, legally. Um, they're the ones who are actually impacted by the driving down of wages, but the rich actually benefit from it in you know many different ways. But Shmar, what you were saying about um, you know the the what really impacts us not being able to have a fully functioning black wealth class and why that's important. I, I want to mention when I was in Atlanta uh, for Over the King weekend, um, I saw this movie at one of the museums about how during the uh, bus boycott in, um, uh, I believe it was Mon in Montgomery, um, how they decided to, after they you know were kicked off the buses, to then have taxis to get people to and from work. But then the insurance agencies colluded to not give them insurance. But it was because of a black millionaire that Dr. King contacted back in Atlanta. I don't I don't remember the name of him. It wasn't Herndon, but it was uh, it was someone else. Um, they were able Probably to get the insurance Herndon, that they needed. And so that's why wealth is so important in, in, in our community, because then we're able to do things that if we have interference for others, we can circumvent that interference to do what we need to get done. And that's um, one of the things I like, the stories in your book about how these people overcame adversities. I'm actually reading another book after your book. I've read your book um, earlier, uh, but I'm reading uh, The Prince of Darkness, which is about uh, Hamilton, uh, Jeremiah Hamilton um, in New York. And you talked a little bit about Hamilton. Um, as well. So tell a little bit about him. Well, you know, Hamilton was, you know, for folks who don't know, he was really the first black uh, investor on Wall Street, a uh, prominent black investor. Um, and, you know, they called him the Prince of Darkness because of his skin color, obviously, you know, it's horrible, but also because he was just a ruthless trader. He was super aggressive. Right. Uh, you know, he was a uh, he didn't play, huh? 19th century wolf of Wall Street. Okay. Um, you know, and he uh, was just you know, a very aggressive investor, um, made a lot of money, made millions in, you know, real estate and insurance and, you know, railroad contracts and all sorts of things. Um, and, you know, he became the richest black man in New York, and he was hated, obviously. Wow. What's his name? Because of it. Yeah, his name was Jeremiah Hamilton, Jerry okay. Hamilton. Okay. Wow. Wow. Shamar, you got time? And he went up against some of the big barons that we know, like Vanderbilt. He went up against yeah. Vanderbilt, one of the Astors, and um, was it Carnegie? But yes, yeah, he went up against well, all the barons. He? he was he wow. was fearless. He was fearless. He wow. really was. Tomorrow, you got uh, before you go, man. You got time for one more call? Absolutely. Okay, let's take a call from Jeremy. Jeremy, how are you, man? Thanks for calling. Hey, yeah, it's been a while, but I, I got to weigh in on this. I feel I feel like one of the greatest factors in the lack of um, you know, black millionaires or black wealth accumulation is. There seems to be a disproportionate number of young black men that aren't even given the chance to start because they're behind bars, and that fractures families. And, you know, when right. you don't even have a starting point, it's kind of hard to get any sort of traction when you're talking about, you know, uh, investing or a career or anything like that. Where? Where? That's real. Samara? Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely correct. You know, it doesn't have to even be someone, you know, going to jail. You know, it can just be dropping out of high school. 
uh, it can just be getting an inadequate education, um, you know, that doesn't prepare you for a decent job. Um, it can be, you know, lack of access to jobs. You know, it, it can be, you know, but I think what you're saying is that, you know, it gets broken down very early. Uh, and I really think that's mostly because of our educational system in this country. Um, you know, one of those outcomes, obviously, when folks stop, you know, focusing on school or, you know, you know, start, you know, uh, being absent from school a lot, crime can be one of the directions they can go into. But, you know, one of the, another direction, they can just work low-wage jobs their entire life. So, I mean, I, I think to build more black wealth, you have to start from the education system on up okay. to give folks the, 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 the same skills. Because to my mind, that's where I see the greatest disparity, both statistically yep. and anecdotally, between the education system in the black community and the education system in the white community. No doubt about it. So well, I, I, I agree with that mostly, but I think the key thing that we're missing in the, conver, in the conversation is, it, but wealth is generational. And so just like the, the people in, that you've written about in your book, we should be, if America was giving, gave us a fair shake at things, um, we should be talking about their descendants having accumulated wealth and be like the Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers, the Astors, those people who have had generational wealth for three, four, five, six generations now. Um, you know, like in the state of Minnesota, where we have the Dayton's, where Target's uh, you know, corporation came out of their, you know, Dayton's department store. I think they're now on like their sixth generation, you know, people that are millionaires and probably billionaires as well. And so we weren't able to do that because um, I think, Shamar, most of the people that you've written about, most of them, the, some of their lines have died out, like Herndon, his line, the insurance uh, guy in, in, in uh, Atlanta, his son didn't have any kids. But I think a lot of the others, they didn't have kids or I think like in Jeremiah um, Hamilton's case, um, they crossed over where uh, their kids uh, became lighter complected and, or were lighter complected and then married whites, and then now they have passed over on, um, to whites. And, and that's one thing I think was very interesting about your book, too, that these are people coming out of slavery that created these fortunes and weren't part of the free black class that was free, where a lot of our leadership, black leadership within the U.S. over the past 150 years, a lot of them come out of that free black um, uh, middle class that existed, um, where some were former slave owners, uh, but a lot of them were artisans, had businesses, and those were the people that were able to afford to go to school um, and then took those, you know, functionary positions and agencies and in government um, and became our, like, black leadership class. Um, but I think, like I said, that's a missing point is that wealth is generational, and because of the things that have been done to us as a community, we don't have, you know, those big brand names within our community to talk about that have been there for multi-generations because of that. Yeah, I mean, the generational wealth disparity is huge uh, between African Americans and, you know, white Americans, and I think, you know, it's a long, long, long story. Um, you know, I think that, you know, it, it goes all the way back to slavery. Uh, you know, uh, you know, from you know, the very fact that black people used to be part of people's wealth, right? And then, you know, That's you're right. freed and, you know, you don't necessarily have a culture around setting up an estate. Another part of it uh, comes from the fact that African-Americans did not have access to the financial system, um, you know, first starting out. That's why it was necessary to start uh, community banks. And to an extent, um, you know, the culture, uh, you know, did not necessarily develop um, in terms of, you know, passing down 
generational wealth. There was an interesting study uh, by John Hopkins recently that basically showed that the lower socioeconomic class that you start at, if you become rich, it's harder for you to retain your wealth because there's more people uh, that need your help. And, you know, so I think that also applies to African-Americans that a lot of times when we get wealth, there's so many people that need our help, if not on a familial level, on a on a community level, that you're not necessarily going to have as much to pass down directly to your to your children um, because so much of it, you know, has to get disposed of to help your, you know, um, you know, you know, folks, you know, who are just uh, living in your community. Wow. One more segment, uh, Shamar. Hang on with us. And so when we come back, you can tell us uh, where we can find your book and uh, so on and so forth. So we got one more segment. This is Black Republican, Black Democrat on Twin Cities News Talk and Yaha Radio. Welcome back to Black Republican, Black Democrat. I'm your co-host at Homeboy, Jamar Nelson. And I'm Pat Oh, now watch out, you sexy thing. I ain't talking about you, Pat one, though. Uh-uh. Watch out now. Shamari, I ain't even going to ask you if you know them. No, uh, Shamari, I want to, uh, our guest, uh, Shamari Willis, the uh, author of Black Fortunes. Uh, Shamari, tell us, where can we find your book? Um, and how can we find out more about you? And, you know, again, tell us all the good stuff. Yeah, so uh, the book is on Amazon, of course. Um, it's called Black Fortunes. Um, you can also find it at uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, everywhere, most independent bookstores. Um, you know, anywhere you buy your books, you should be able to pick it up, and if they don't have it, you know, they can definitely order it. Uh, if you want to find out more about me, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter. It's at showwills, S-H-O-W-I-L-L-S. Uh, you know, so drop me a line on Twitter or, you know, shout me out on Facebook. I love to hear from folks. Will you write another book, uh, and, and will it be uh, Black Driven? Will it be Black what? Driven, okay. and will it be, you know, more about Black More Fortunes, or will it be, you know, inspired by, you know, uh, actions out of our community? What? Yeah, you know, it's it's it's. it's I'm writing another, working on my second book right now. Great, um, great. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's black inspired. You yep. know, the subject is a little bit different. I, I'm not, I can't really say too much. Okay, about you don't want to spill the beans. I get it. Well, I get you know, it. my publisher, my publisher is. Uh, I'm not allowed to talk about it until they announce. The he ain't book, listening. He ain't listening to this little bitty show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's if the characters for my second book are all are are in the first book, you know. So okay, uh, some of the folks who make cameos will be the stars in the second book. I can now, say is that. there? I mean, we got to p- uh, push you to like HBO or somebody Netflix or somebody to pick this up so we can make this into some type of movie or something like that because you got some powerful characters now were those characters uh was was this all fictional or you know where did the characters come from uh yeah so all the characters are you know you know real historical figures okay um and you know it's a hundred percent you know historical driven it's hundred percent researched wow. um you know wow. uh you know as far as you know bringing it to life on a fictional level we're working on that with the sister uh, Stephanie Elaine, uh, who did uh, Dear White People, and um, Word. you know go, goes all the way back to Boys in the Hood. You know she's a black film, black television legend. So we're working on that with with her trying to bring that to life as a TV series. Now let me get my twenty dollars for a second in that emotion. Okay, just twenty bucks is all I need. You know, <laughs> just twenty bucks. No, Shamara, man, I, I Pat when Pat kept telling me. Uh, that we had you, man, I, I got excited because, you know, it's not too many black, uh, well, I don't want to say, uh, you know, not too many, but this book is powerful, 
and 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 not just black folks need to pick this book up. You know, all especially white folks need to pick this book up and learn about real black wealth in this country and um, where we came from. This is, you know, like you said, this is one hundred percent research. Yeah, exactly. That's not celebrity driven. They don't have to be football or basketball athletes. You know, this was real wealth from educated black folks. And so, man, it was powerful. And I got mad respect for you uh, uh, writing this book, man. And so you got to come back on when you uh, get your new book uh, up and at them, right? Absolutely. I can't wait to come back on. I love this show. Man, make sure you listen to him. Pump us up now. Pump us up. <laughs> I definitely will. Thanks, Shamar. All right. Have a good one. You too, man. All right. Man, Patwin, uh, Bob, yeah. I mean, did you sit here? I mean, you learned. Yeah. So that's oh. a question for a U.S. Senate candidate. Uh, when we talk about wealth, Pat, as, as Patwin and I always do, what do we? how do we get uh, towards bringing more wealth to minority communities here in the state? Well, I think this was fantastic for me to be here and listen to this because I learned a lot today, too, and Good. even with Breckham here because yeah. I think, you know, a lot of Republican candidates talk how they want to reach out and get into the inner cities and things, but we really haven't that's right. done it. And uh for you to bring me on too, and then I get to listen to some really high quality people that yeah. know a I lot mean, about he, this he thing. Because I don't, I've never walked in. You know, this is right. completely yeah. different from right. me. You know, but I, I appreciate learning, and I think when he has a book like this, and it does come to film, it would be an inspiration to young blacks that think, "Hey, these guys were doing it. Why That's can't right. we?" Yeah. But you're, it's true. We've got to. I mean, there's opportunities that we have to let, and people. I think really, a lot of these young youth need some mentors in there that are yes. going to touch them because the schools, it's not getting done especially in the two cities, the inner cities, you know, and I think they should have options to go to good schools. Everybody deserves to have, have an opportunity to get a good education. So I think we have to make sure that there's mentors and that there's fathers in the families and we're keeping the family structure together because it's important for our entire state and our, for our country. That's right. So I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to participate. I'm willing to learn from you guys because you, you know, I can't, I can listen, but I've never walked in your shoes. So right. this is important for me, and I'm really thrilled to be able to listen to these kind of guests you have on, because this is Thank great. You. This is Keep It Real Radio, yeah. right, Pat? Right. Yeah, and that's why we have them, because we want to expose the audience, you know, you know, that's made up of, you know, white conservatives yep. and African-Americans and, you know, all the diverse people to know what's really going on in the African-American community and the diversity within our um, community. And, you know, and this is also a lesson that, you know, uh, Trump should learn, right. because, you know, even though I like that he's the, some of the things he was trying to do with um, uh, Kim Kardashian and you know some of the sports figures yep. that you know he's bringing talking them about policy but he shouldn't be talking to celebrities and athletes even though I know he's in that celebrity sphere but and, and I don't want to demean them because they can be knowledge sure. anybody can be knowledge, absolutely read yep. up and yep. study anyone can but he should be talking to the policy people within the community, the people that are yeah. into the average everyday person as mm -hmm. well, because they're the ones who know what's really going on and what should be done. They'll tell you, they'll, they'll tell you specifically, well, I need X, Y, and Z because X, Y, and Z is happening. Um, and those are the types of people that, you know, people within government should be talking to. Oh, exactly. And I, I like the fact that Ben Carson's been with Donald Trump because. I think that was part of the big reason where he did reach out to the black community because they asked him, what do you got to lose? Because a lot of Democrats come around every four years, but they really haven't been seeing the improvements that they were promised. So. I don't see them I either. Don't. I don't see them yeah. either. But, you know, look, I, I think that what we got, we got to, there, there has to be effort there. Oh, yeah. There has to be effort right. from Trump and there has to be effort from his administration. And then we need to, more importantly, hold our elected officials, you know, state and federally, uh, feet to the fire to make sure that they are yeah. building, helping us build wealth by, number one, as Shamari said, which is more importantly, educating our kids, funding these schools. And, and so I, I, I'm, I'm okay with 
finding a way to figure out how we pay mm -hmm. back. So I think that that's important. So I won't argue with uh, Republicans on that, Pat. We have one minute, Pat. One minute. The unemployment rate for blacks is at the all-time low. Well, n not really. I mean, because the, the real unemployment rate for black folks is still about 17%. Well, so. you would know. Yeah, I, I, I would. I'm, I'm <laughs> we got more with Bob Anderson yeah. on the Post Show Podcast. And, Pat, when you're going to be joining us, too. Ladies and gentlemen, an hour yes. goes so quick. We had a great yes. guest, Shamari Willis. Make sure yes. you pick up his book, Black Fortunes. He, like you said, it's on Amazon. It's uh, uh, What else did he say we could pick it up at? Uh, it's in audible form. So... Kindle, yeah, everything. Right. But so, Amazon is like the main place. Pick it up at Amazon. So, man, thanks for listening to us. Happy Juneteenth. Make sure you download yep. the show uh, and podcast this week. Pat, when I got my Juneteenth shirt, or you missed it because you're out there. Thank you, Pat. Hold on. Ladies and gentlemen, join us on the Post Show Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jamar Nelson. And I'm Pat Lamar. Thanks for joining us. See you. Bye.